This week in KMA Land, disastrous fire strikes Taylor County Egg Production Plant. COVID-19 numbers up in Page County. Montgomery County supervisors debate COVID vaccine mandate. Local officials react to new Omicron variant. And Page County supervisors address election security. I'm Mike Peterson. It was one week ago today that a fire dealt a huge blow to a major KMA land employer. Fire swept through the Henhaven Egg Production Facility, formerly known as Iowa Cage Free in Clearfield. Clearfield Mayor Chris Knox told KMA News he was about to begin his daily chores that morning when he noticed smoke in the direction of the plant shortly after 7.30 a.m. I actually just drove by there and didn't notice a fire, but right at either 7.30 or 7.31, I noticed that there was quite a bit of smoke rolling out of one of the facilities there. And I drove instantly over there and saw that it was coming out of one of the hen barns where they have the live chickens. That's where I first noticed the fire, and then it kind of spread on to the processing facility and the office space after that. Knox says most of the facility's employees were standing outside the facility at the time he passed by. He says winds gusting at up to 25 miles per hour spread smoke over the community, making for what he called a scary deal. The wind did pick up pretty strong there Saturday afternoon, and it was blowing right towards town, I guess, at that particular time, and there was pretty big concern about starting a cornfield on fire right to the east side of where the fire was, and from there it you know, could have carried into the town of Clarefield. Firefighters and first responders from a host of KMA land communities and counties provided mutual aid to Clearfield's department, including Bedford, Gravity, Sharpsburg, Lenox, and Diagonal, plus Page, Ringgold, and Union counties. Knox's crews brought the fire under control by about 6 p.m. Saturday, but not before it caused considerable damage. One complete hen house was burned the ground. I would estimate it to be probably seven to eight hundred feet long. It took it completely down. From there, that barn was connected by breezeways to the processing facility and to the office space, and I believe maybe a distribution center. Uh, the processing, the office space, and the distribution area was all completely damaged as well. It's believed hundreds of thousands of chickens also perished. Henhaven LLC, a California-based company, purchased the facility from Iowa Cage Free late last month. Currently, the plant employs up to 70 people. Knox says the fire is a big blow to more than just the facility's workers. It goes to people that's supplying the facility with, um, you know, feed resources and other resources. You know, it's just, it, it doesn't even affect just the employees. It affects everybody that's you know, that has ties to that business as well. It would be uh, really great if we were able to salvage what we can out of the mess and and continue to have that uh, for the community. It really would. Knox praised fire departments from surrounding communities for their assistance in battling the fire. There's still no word in what caused the fire. None of the facility's employees were injured, but Knox says two firefighters reportedly retreated for smoke inhalation. More emotional debate over federal COVID-19 vaccination regulations continued in KMA land this week, putting those favoring freedom of choice versus the need for greater protection from the continuing pandemic. Discussions on approaching a COVID-19 vaccine regulation through OSHA were a focal point during this week's Montgomery County Board of Supervisors meeting. While there is currently a stay picked up in the U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, Assistant County Attorney Bruce Swanson advises the board to wait on voting but get a policy established. I don't think we should pass anything. I think we ought to sit back because it's right now. Drew told me last night as of 5 o'clock, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, there's still a big stay order. And there's another circuit court that's looking at it too. So I don't, 
I think I don't think we want to make law. I think we ought to just jump on the bus. But I agree, and I'll be happy to study this and you know give you my pros and cons. Let everybody absorb it, though, before we just come in here and vote on something. Initially, the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals established an emergency stay on the regulations before sending it to the Sixth Circuit. Supervisor Mike Olson says he is against the idea of the policy, but the county is in a tough spot if they don't follow the regulations should it survive the courts. I think it's ridiculous. This is something that a human being, a, a, a citizen of the United States and their health care provider, and their family members discuss, not politicians at any level. Mm-hmm. And I apologize that we're here, but the fact is we are here and we have to have federal money. And if we lose that federal money, you won't have a job anyway, because two thirds of your budget is federal money. And that's the reality. Swanson says he believes it should only be a matter of days or at most a couple of weeks before the courts come to a final decision. In light of this, Olson suggested forming a committee to review other county policies to prevent a rush to put something together later. And sit down and take one of these prototypes or one of these examples and pick and choose and, and, and develop our own policy or maybe use another policy and, and get that on the shelf so that it's ready in case we need it at a moment's notice. Because as we know, this could flop and change within 48 hours. Supervisors Chair Donna Robinson also discussed the current COVID-19 situation, including the emergence of the new Omicron variant. And this is not something that we think or that any of us have any control over. And so these policies have to be put in place because this this isn't going to go away. I think I think we will be dealing with this sadly for probably for the rest of our lives i would say the rest of my life i don't know some of you guys are much younger but it's it's not it's not a short-term uh issue the supervisors took no formal action to the meeting and further discussion between department heads and the board is expected for the time being there was more news regarding COVID 19 in kma land this week and like most weeks the news wasn't good page county's COVID numbers continued to climb Page County Public Health Tuesday reported a seven-day total of 32 new cases, followed by 19 more cases on Wednesday. With the new cases, Page County's 14-day positivity rate rose to 12.1%, then fell to 10.8%. However, the county's vaccination rate had increased to 52.5%. Iowa's vaccination rate also rose slightly to 54.7%. Mills County remains another COVID hotspot in KMA land. Over 40 active COVID cases reported in Mills County Wednesday, bringing the rolling seven-day positivity rate to 23%. Mills County Public Health Administrator Julie Lyons says the public health agency has performed 208 tests over the past seven days. She adds the number of cases appears to be spread somewhat evenly across the county population, including a decent proportion in the child age group. It's pretty equally spread. So in the age range of 0 to 18, about 17% of those in that group are positive for COVID. And then it's pretty evenly spread amongst all adult populations. And then it tapers off pretty sharply with low percentages for our elderly population. Part of that is because their vaccination rate is so good. Lines says current numbers indicate another spike in the county, as over the past month, Mills County's seven-day rolling rate has gotten as low as almost 10 percent. When I look back on the last month, our rolling positivity rate has been as low as 10 percent, and currently we're at 23 percent, which is 
definitely on the higher end, and so we are seeing uh, an up an uptick in, in positive cases right now. With more recent vaccine approvals for children as young as five, Lyons says the public health agency is partnering with area providers to consult with parents about getting their child vaccinated. Lyons says she does believe there has been some interest from parents. And I think that there is some, some interest in that, and I think that, um, you know, hopefully that will really help because as we see the school year go on, we are seeing positive cases in our in our school district, and so that's one very important tool that we have in our in our toolbox to combat the spread of the disease. As of this week, 59% of county residents 12 and older are considered fully immunized against COVID-19. Late last week, the World Health Organization labeled the Omicron variant as a variant of concern. However, Lyons says there is still limited information on the variant after attending a conference call with the Iowa Department of Public Health earlier this week. I know that we are waiting for further details about the variant as it emerges, and we're looking to see, you know, what are we going to have as far as severity of illness or degree of transmissibility, and those are things that um, we're looking at right now. And, you know, just as a reminder, the most important thing we can do to prevent severe illness and hospitalization and death from this or or any variant is, is to get vaccinated. The first case of the Omicron variant in the United States was detected in California Wednesday. Despite this latest news, at least one KMA land congressional representative said she was cautiously optimistic that Omicron would not be as severe of a variant as previous strains. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Friday morning, Iowa Congresswoman Cindy Axney says now is the time to prepare for the new COVID challenge. It isn't like March 2020 where we were. It's a whole different phase right now because we have a defense. We have vaccinations. And as a matter of fact, just this morning I was in caucus uh, and our guest was Dr. Ashish Jha, who's the dean of the Brown University Public Health Department, who's an expert in this field. And, uh, you know, essentially what he said was, if you've gotten your vaccinations and your booster, you're 95% protected with this Omicron variant. If you haven't got your booster, but you did get your other two shots, you, you, you need to go get your booster because you fall down to about 65% of possible contact of, of getting the Omicron variant. So I would tell anybody, go get your booster um, and absolutely get your shots. Our best defense against a variant is getting the vaccination. And that's why this is different. This is just really important for folks to realize that we've got a minute here to, to address this because travel limits that the president has put in place to uh, have folks who are coming from these, uh, these countries where we're seeing this variant, we've got some time to prepare. He's put travel limits in place. We can get shots in people's arms. I, I just encourage everybody to get prepared, and this is kind of what we're seeing right now, but we can make our way through this. Iowa Congresswoman Cindy Axney on KMA's Morning Line program Friday morning. Election security was a focal point of this week's Page County Board of Supervisors meeting. By unanimous vote Tuesday morning, the supervisors approved a resolution regarding the confidentiality of public records related to the election infrastructure of Page County. County Auditor Melissa Wellhausen says the resolution would make security plans and other sensitive information about how elections are run confidential. Yeah, in trainings we've attended, they've just advised us that this is a good idea just to put this forward to, because we do have a policy in place, a security policy in place that we set up, a, oh gosh, it's been a while ago, 
But basically, then this just protects that information and makes it confidential. Under Iowa Code, most information regarding elections and election administration falls under Iowa Code Chapter 22, which dictates which documents are public record and available for public inspection. Wellhausen says an administrative rule allows county governments in Iowa to hold back certain sensitive information. Wellhausen says other counties in Iowa have recently taken similar steps to combat any threats to election security. More than two years after a bond issue's approval, work on a major facility's facelift continues in the Sydney School District. Supply deliveries continue to slow completion of projects at Sydney's Junior Senior High School and Sydney Elementary School, but at least one new addition is occupied. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning, Sydney School Superintendent Tim Hood says classes are taking place inside the Career Technical Education Edition at the junior-senior high school. Our CTE facility is up and running now, has the, all the electrical in it, so we're able to do the automotive and the welding stuff, uh, along with our FFA items. We still are waiting on a couple garage doors. It's amazing that we're still waiting on garage doors, but we are. Meanwhile, finishing touches remain for the junior-senior high school's new gymatorium. The actual new music room is pretty close to being completed. They're putting down the first coat of floor finish on the uh, gym floor, and hopefully that'll get done yet this week, and then we're hoping next week that the bleachers can be installed, and then that uh, will kind of wrap that part of it up. And Hood says items essential to completing Sydney Elementary School's renovation have yet to arrive. Our final finish and our carpet uh, for the rooms we had to remove for the uh, asbestos have not come in yet. Uh, we're supposed to be in this week. We just got a information late yesterday that looking more like next week before those will be in. So we're frantically trying to figure out uh, how to get some of that stuff done so we could potentially have an open house. But the superintendent declined speculation and when the long-awaited open houses for the project will take place. We sure would like to think that can happen before Christmas, but as soon as I say that, it probably won't happen. So I'm really not sure yet uh, when that's going to happen, but we'll try and have something as quick as we can. We feel that, that the items have been done to the expectations that uh, we signed our contracts to. Officials with Alley Pointer Machetto, the project's architects, were expected to meet with school officials soon to begin planning for upgrades to the district's football stadium and track. Voters approved a $10 million bond issue for the facility's upgrades in November of 2019. Well, Creston school officials are the latest to eye a major facilities upgrade. Members of a district facilities committee recently unveiled a proposal totaling more than $36 million to the Creston School Board. Among other things, the initiative proposes an early childhood center expansion to the district's existing elementary middle school building and a performing arts and athletic complex addition at Creston High School. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning, Creston School Superintendent Darren Stender says facilities improvements were studied even before his arrival from the Clarinda School District in July 2019. We've been looking at a long-term facilities plan, identifying some of the projects that meet the needs of the educational services of our students, the expectations of our community. And so this has involved two separate, distinct community task forces that have worked with the school board to address the plans, to look at the issues that we have identified 
and to make a recommendation. Stender says the early childhood expansion would consolidate grades pre-K through 6 into one facility, meaning a cost savings to the district. Currently, preschool and kindergarten classes are located in a separate building. That's something that this committee struggled with, and they said, well, what's, what's it cost to repair this building? And also, what duplicated cost do we have, and what could we save if we were centrally located in one building as a pre-K through 6th grade and 7th through 12th grade as different models. And roughly there's just about 250000 a quarter of a million dollars that is saved every year by being housed in one building. 7th through 12th grade students would then be shifted to the high school building. Of the $36.3 million, $22.5 million would be covered through a bond issue referendum requiring 60% of the vote. Another $11.4 million would come from secured advanced vision through education or save dollars, requiring the passage of a revenue purpose statement. Sales tax cash totaling $2.4 million would cover the remaining costs. Stender, however, says no tax increase would be involved. Our goal is not to increase the amount of taxes that we levy to our taxpayers. We have two debt services that are going to be paid off in the next two years, the first one in June of 20. Three and uh, or first one in 22, and then the next one is in June of 23. So our plan would be to ask our partners to continue the tax levy of where it's at to allow the district to do those large projects. Stender stresses the projects are not yet set in stone and await final board action. The ink is not dried on anything. These are all concepts uh, based on information that the committee has received. And I would say over the last two or three years of my time there, I've communicated on a monthly basis with our partners and our community to let them know this has been coming and this is in the works. Pending board approval, Stender says a special election could take place as early as March 2022. More information regarding the facilities plan is available from the Creston School District's website. Another KMA Land School District joined the ranks of those encouraging students to participate in elections. Iowa Secretary of State Paul Pate joined Ringgold County Auditor Amanda Waski in presenting the Carrie Chapman Cat Award to Mount Air High School in ceremonies Wednesday morning. The award goes to any school registering a high number of students to vote. Pate told KMA News Mount Air's mark surpassed its previous record set during the 2020-21 school year. The uh, government teacher's uh, previous school year worked with students here and they registered over 96% of their eligible voting students to vote. And this is an initiative we launched a few years ago to uh, encourage young people to step up and be voters. And uh, Mount Air has, has joined the ranks now. We have over 80 schools participating in the program uh, in the state and over 56 counties. Pate cites a number of factors in the increased number of young voters in the state. First, he says parents are a major influence in voter registration. Surprisingly, and I'm happy to have on this surprise, a lot of it is still coming from the parents and their family. When we surveyed and polled young people about uh, you know, who impacts them, influences them on, on voting in elections, uh, it was the family uh, at the dinner table. Uh, it's still a big part of it. Additionally, Pates' interest in elections is growing, and not just for presidential elections. There's a lot going on in our in our communities now. On the national level, clearly, there's always a lot of activity when we talk about presidential politics. But we now see in this last cycle that a lot of people focusing in on uh, city elections and school board elections because uh, they want to make sure that their values and their priorities are being represented at those levels, too. Pate expects to present the CAD Award to other southwest Iowa school districts in the near future.
Clarendas Hospital and School District are collaborating on a project designed to improve school and public safety. Efforts by Clarenda Regional Health Center and the Clarenda School District to replace and expand the amount of AEDs available within the district are in the final stages. CRHC Athletic Director Logan Wood says the project included the purchase of seven Zoll AED machines at a total cost of $13,457. Wood says the main objective is to lower the amount of travel time between an AED and the situation requiring its use. I would say right now... um it our max time from location of incident to AED and back to location would be about uh, no more than a minute 30. And with this expanding, we're hoping to cut that down to 30 seconds or less uh, to get the AED to that situation. And having that AED there as soon as possible in any situation is really going to help with the the survival rate. Two of the new devices will be placed in the 712 in the auditorium and agricultural shop and Wood says the project will also include better labeling and accessibility to the potentially life-saving machines. Currently, Wood says the district has four AED units with two in the PK-6 building and one in the middle school and high school building in central office. CRHC school nurse Kelly Klein says part of the expansion includes the addition of a transferable unit at various school sports complexes due to high traffic in those areas. At the football field, there's going to be a portable one that goes you know, between the baseball fields, um, just so it will provide more um, you know, access to community members you know, that are coming to a sporting event. Um, right now, that was an area that we were kind of missing the AED, um, you know, our sporting sporting events. So that will really help uh, maintain our safety with those those events. Funding efforts began in October with area businesses and they were able to raise a total of $8,972. Wood says nearly every company was able to share a story of how an AED had impacted them. When we talked to them, they all had a story about how an AED um, either helped someone in their business or helped one of them personally, um, and they saw this was a great opportunity to, to help uh, not only the school, but also provide uh, better coverage for the community. As I said earlier, that we have a, a large percentage of the community that walks through these facilities. Which says the school district is picking up the remainder of the costs through the use of ESSER $2. Meanwhile, fundraising efforts for a KMA Land Mental Health Provider's new facilities are nearing a successful climax. Southwest Iowa Families Incorporated is now in the final stage of its capital campaign to construct a new base of operations in Clarinda. Agency Director Sandy Gear and Clinic Director Bernie Wagoner joined the morning show this week to provide an update on the project. Gear says the agency began the campaign after seeing they had started to outgrow their current facility. We do serve a lot of people. So we um, need a new base of operations for the agency. We've had increasing space demands. Um, we've got some staff are doubled and tripled up in some of our offices. We don't have a very good handicapped entrance. Our waiting room is small. So we're just kind of running out of room in the space that we're currently occupying. Southwest Iowa Family serves a roughly 40 to 60 mile radius of Clarinda, providing outpatient mental health services, prevention services for the 0 to 5 population, and direct support programs including crime victims assistance, veterans assistance, and renting utility assistance. Wagner says plans call for constructing the new facility in the heart of Clarinda. We're planning to build a, a, a one-story, 9,000 square foot masonry building 
which is going to be located just off the square here in the heart of the city of Clarinda. It will be at 117 West Main, which is just north and west, a little bit of our post office for those of you that know Clarinda. Donations are still requested from the public to complete the facility. Tax-deductible donations can be mailed to Southwest Iowa Families, 215 East Washington Street, Clarinda, Iowa, 51632, or you can call the agency at 712-542-3501. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.